Well, today is the, the first Sunday of the month, and uh, this is the Sunday that we always celebrate communion, um, unless there's some scheduling issue with that. And we're going to do that today, but we're going to do it at the end of the service. Normally we do it right after worship, but we're going to do it at the end of the service today, at the conclusion, um, because as, we, as we're going through our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, visiting, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and, and I, can, I can tell you with, with uh, great confidence that the Gospel of Mark will be, come to an end just before our Easter service series, our Christmas series, thank you, <laughs> Christmas series, I was scaring them, before our Christmas series begins. So we're almost done with the Gospel of Mark, and which I'm sad about personally, but we're almost done with the Gospel of Mark. But we're going to come to a section today, um, going through Mark, where we deal with the day, actually the evening, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or Communion. It was the night he did it, and for the first time with his disciples, and then he began the tradition there, and the New Testament then expands on it throughout the New Testament, on how we take this now, and what it means to us, beyond just that meal they had that night. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about Communion um, first, and then we're going to partake in Communion together at the end of the service, in a little different manner than we normally do. And um, we're going to do it this way, because I want to be sure that we really get what we're doing when we take communion together. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story that I read. And uh, I doubt this story is real, but maybe it is. I'm not sure. But the story goes like this. A little girl um, one day asked her mom on a Sunday afternoon, kind of the old-style Sunday where you went to church in the morning and then you had a big Sunday meal. Um, Some of you maybe still do that. I think it's a great tradition. It's a great big Sunday family meal. And uh, that day, the girl was watching her mom prepare lunch, and she said, you know, Mommy, why, when you're making the ham on Sundays, do you cut the ends off the ham and then put it in a baking pan? And uh, the mom looks at the little girl and says, well, I've just always done it that way, and Grandma taught me to do that, and I'm pretty sure we cut the ends off, because if we cut the ends off the ham, then I'm pretty sure the juices will absorb in the ham better, and it'll make the ham more, more juicy and better to eat. And, and uh, she goes, but you know, honestly, I've done that. I think that's the reason, but I've done it because Grandma taught me how to do it that way. And she goes, why don't you call Grandma and ask her? So she calls Grandma on the phone, and she says, Grandma, Mom's making the ham, and she, she always cuts the ends off the ham. And I was wondering, she said, you taught her to do that. Why do you always cut the ends off the ham? And she goes, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's because if you cut the ends off the ham and the juices kind of come out of it and then they absorb back into those where the ends are cut off and it makes the ham juicier and, and better to eat. And, and, you know, I've always done it that way because your, great, your great-grandmother, my mother, taught me to do it that way. And she goes, why don't you call great-grandma on the phone and ask great-grandma, why do you cut the ends off the ham? She goes, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I'm right. And, and she goes, you know, your nana, your great-grandma taught, taught me to do that, and I taught your mom, and, and she's teaching you. And, and so she said, she's kind of frustrated, and she's like, it's not a hot, complicated question. And so she calls her, ma, her great-grandma on the phone, nana, you know, I was watching mom make the Sunday ham, and it just seems odd to me. She always cuts the ends off the ham. And then she bakes the ham, and I asked her, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And she said she thinks it's because it makes it juicier. And, and I asked, she said, Grandma taught her to do it, so I asked Grandma, and she said she thinks it's because it makes it juicier. And, but they said, you, great-grandma, or Grandma said, you taught her to do it when you were a little girl. So, great-grandma, why do you cut the ends off the, off the ham before you cook it? And she hears her, her great-grandma on the phone laughing, just roaring on her head, and she goes, sweetie, the reason I cut the ends off the ham 
is because my pan was too small for the ham to fit in the pan. And that's why I always cut the ends off so that, so that it would fit in the pan. And, and, you know, communion is a lot like that. You know, many times we do things thinking we know the reasons why we do them, but we never stop to ask why. And today, you know, I want us to understand the why of communion. So it's not when you come the first Sunday of the month, you go, it's time to just cut the ends off the ham today. It's just what we always have done. I want us to think about it. Now, as we talk about communion, and we come to the verses we're going to read in a few minutes, you may remember, now this is a stretch, but you may remember that back in March. Can anybody remember March? (laughs) It's like a million years ago. But back in March, maybe this will clarify it. It was Pinewood Derby Sunday, and I had a big door on the platform. that ringing a bell? I had a door on the platform, and I preached from the same text we're going to look at today. And back then I said, we're going to jump ahead in the Gospel of Mark, and that's why we're coming to an end quickly, because we've already covered a number of the sections from the Gospel of Mark, and we jumped ahead looking into, into the text that related to Easter. And it was the, so the, the Pinewood Derby Sunday when I had the, the, the door up on the platform um, was a day when we looked at this text, or at least part of this text, um, that we're going to come to today. And, and I preached on, on that text that time, and I, I looked at communion related to the Jewish Passover celebration. Because in the Gospel of Mark, that's how he deals with communion. He shows the foundation of it came from Passover. And that the Passover was a celebration. They put the blood on the doorpost. Remember we did that? It was a celebration of the death angel passing over and, and not killing any Jews in their, in their homes because, because they're going to flee out of Egypt. Remember that story? And uh, we said it was a celebration. Of, of, what the, of life, and that the New Testament, that communion is a celebration of forgiveness and of life that happens. And so we looked at that last time. And so I'm, maybe you remember, if you don't remember that, and you want the full idea of communion here, go to our podcast on our website for free, download the sermon, and listen to that aspect of communion. But for today, what I want to do is I want to look at communion from a little different perspective. And to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to read the text from Mark, and then we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 11. Because if you notice, if you've been around church forever, almost every time you do communion, you open to 1 Corinthians 11 and you read it, because it's the Apostle Paul giving commentary on that night in Mark 14, where he says, now this is what I was told about that night from the Spirit of the Lord. This is what I was told. So let's turn first to Mark chapter 14. We're going to read that. And then we're going to jump ahead, jump over to 1 Corinthians 11. So Mark chapter 14, you there yet? Starting in verse 22, I hope you bring your Bibles to church, even if they're on your little iPad thing or iTouch. It's God's word for you. Verse chapter 14, starting in verse 22, it says, While they were eating, this is Jesus and his disciples, he took some bread... And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, and said to them, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's commentary on this. But remember, his commentary that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, starting at chapter 11, verse 23, 
there, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 23. Chapter 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So he got a message from God. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. In so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Now, stop right there. There is just a ton of stuff going on here that we could talk about. You know, we see that communion, the big picture. Let's talk about that first. We see the big picture. We see that communion, the act of taking the bread and taking the cup, is really a repeatable drama. It's a dramatization of the gospel. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It's this graphic display of what Jesus' death has accomplished for us. You know, when we take communion, we hold these emblems that symbolize Jesus' life and his ministry and his death. You know, communion, when we take it according to the text, points us backwards to his death as a basis for our salvation. He says, he says that he shed his blood for us. So we hold a cup in it, and there's no coincidence why it's got red juice in it. It's supposed to look like blood. And Jesus said with a cup, this is my blood. It's supposed to do it. It reminds us, as we look backwards, to his death on the cross, that he died and he bled for us. He shed his blood for us to pay for our sins. Communion also causes us to evaluate our present. It asks us to say in there, it says, let a man examine himself. It says, do you have a vital, real relationship with the Lord? And the First Corinthians text, if you go on reading, says, do you have a right relationship with the rest of the people in the body of Christ? It's saying, are you in a right relationship today? Examine yourself to see if you have a right relationship with God and a right relationship within his family. And he says, if you do, you'll be good. He says, if you don't, some people have died. He says, they've fallen asleep because of, their, because of their wrong relationship with God and wrong relationship with the family of God. Now, that ought to spook us a little bit. We said, sit back and say, well, what does this all matter? You know what it matters if you're not in a right relationship with God or His family? He says, the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, and some people have died because they're lacking the blessing of God, is what it's really saying. And so communion causes us to evaluate the present, but communion also causes us to look forward to the future. It says this, what we read, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. The communion looks forward to Jesus' second coming. It reminds us every time we do it, take communion, Jesus is coming back. Now, all of those things, you're writing fast. If you don't take notes, I encourage you to take notes. You know what I love about my wife? It's kind of, kind of, I always brag on you. It always shocks me. We've been married for so many years and she still takes notes. And I said, I realized one day, I thought, there's a reason why she's always growing in the Lord. Because you're diligent. So, take notes. So all these things are vital components of our understanding of a celebration of communion. But what I just went over, those three points, that could be three sermons. And I went over it quickly on purpose, because I want to say this. But there's another aspect, because, let me sit back up. Those components are the ones we almost always focus on. When we talk about communion. I was tempted to talk about those today. 
But there's another component mentioned here in the text that I want to focus on today. I really felt the Lord directed me to focus on it today. Because the reason I want to is because I think we often either ignore it or we don't understand it. And by not understanding it, we are robbed of some of the fullness that God has for us in Christ. You see, God has predestined you to be an overcomer in Christ. He's destined you to live in abundance and fullness in Christ. He's not destined you to be a crabby old, just exist till Jesus returns kind of person. He's destined you to have a life of joy and fullness and and victory and ministry and supernatural um, function in the Spirit. That's what He's destined you. That's why He saved you. That's why He created you. But I think the, the communion talks about something that if we don't get it, robs us of some of the fullness that God has destined for us in Christ. And that component is found here in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11 when it says this. It says... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what we want to talk about. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus held it up. And he said to his twelve, something real, I'm trying to teach you something here, he said. He says, this cup, imagine him, he's holding a cup. He just blessed it. He's holding it. He looks in the eyes of his twelve and he goes, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said something about this, this initiating of communion, is talking about something new. It's talking about something different than the past. It's talking about a new covenant. And Jesus says here that there's something new in the relationship between God and man, inherent in what Jesus was doing when he initiated communion that day with his 12 disciples um, in Jerusalem, by the way, where we just prayed for that there's something new happening. Jesus said, communion reminds us that God offers something new to mankind. And so, let's think about this this morning. What's he talking about? It offers us something new, a new covenant in my blood. First of all, what's a covenant? If you live where I live, and somebody says the word covenant, what you probably think of is rules in your neighborhood that says you can only have a fence this high, and you can't put the garage that you want to have, that detached garage, you can't put that there. And you want to, uh, you, you want to be able to uh, put a certain kind of siding on your house, but your neighborhood covenant says you can't do it. Anybody have covenants where you live? Some of us do, sure. It says there's certain ways you can live. In, you live in the country, it doesn't affect you too much. You live in a subdivision, you live in a community, you can't just do what you want. You can't just put up the fence you want. Because there's, there's a covenant. There's, a, there's certain rules that say these are, the, these are the rules of the neighborhood. And you can't, just, you can't just do what you want. So when you think of covenant, you might think of that. But that's not what he's really referring to here. Here he's referring to kind of, but something much more expanded. Here a covenant refers to basically a treaty. It refers to between two parties. It refers to a pledge or an agreement, or a compact made between different parties. And Jesus is talking about this covenant, this new covenant, that is an agreement between God, a new agreement between God and his followers. He's saying there was an old one, and now there's a new one. See, when he talks about a new one, it should make us ask, well, if there's a new covenant, what's the old covenant? I'm glad you asked. Because you say, what's the, what, if it's something new, what was the old? Well, the old covenant was the agreement that God had with Israel. And how they were to live and how they would act, how he would act towards them if they acted in certain ways. If they acted right, he blessed them. If they acted wrong, he cursed them. 
And that was the covenant he established with them. And the old covenant focused on man keeping the law. Been around it all in the church world. You hear about the law. And it was the old covenant was saying, you got to keep the law. What's that meant? What does that mean? Does it mean you can't, you can't drive your camel 36 miles an hour in a 35? That's not what it's talking about, keeping the law. Keeping the law basically focused on animal sacrifices that, that people had to do, and it pictured the cost of forgiveness. It was trying to teach them, this is how much it costs you to have forgiveness. These animal sacrifices. The old law talked about keeping the Sabbath holy and all the ways that could be applied in your life. The law talked about following worship regulations, annual feasts and sacrifices for sins. So, so the people had to leave a certain place and, at a certain time and go to Jerusalem and worship. And if they didn't, they, they wouldn't have the blessing of God. It was all these rules and regulations. The law also included a knowledge. It included the knowledge of knowing that God and man were separated. You see, he established a priesthood. And in the priesthood was, was the way that, the, that there was a go-between between God and man. But in the priesthood, it very intentionally illustrated something. It illustrated that only one of the twelve tribes could be priests. That eleven of the twelve tribes, even if they wanted to, could not be priests unto God. That the, the, the priesthood showed that only priests on duty could enter the tabernacle. So they couldn't just say, I want to go meet with God and go in the tabernacle. They couldn't do it. Only the ones on duty could go into the tabernacle. The priesthood showed that only one priest a day could enter the holy place. That the rest of them couldn't. Only one priest a day. And not only that, only the high priest could enter the holy of holies behind the veil that was in the, tabern- in the temple one time a year to have intimate relationship with God. And so it was designed to show, listen, you can't just come to me anytime you want. It was saying there's a separation between God and man. And as, as man, and what, what, what went on with the old covenant, the old law, was that as man kept, or at least tried to keep all the rules, then God, in the deal, the old deal, would protect them and bless them. And if they didn't keep all the rules, he said, I'm not going to protect you, and I'm not going to bless you. That was the old covenant. Now understand something, and a lot of times we don't get what I'm going to say right now. Because we try to be old covenant believers in a New Testament world. What happened was, that was a system set up by God to fail. New Testament is very clear. It was supposed to fail. It was supposed to show that you couldn't do it. It was to show that man, that no matter how hard you try, you cannot please God on your own. But what happens at communion? Jesus holds a cup in his hand. And he says, listen, I'm offering you something new from the old. I'm offering you a new agreement between God and man, where it's not about man's effort, but it's about God's grace. And that's what he says it's all about, the new covenant. He says, you've been doing all these rules and laws, but it's designed to show you, you can't do it. See, you tried it for thousands of years, and every single one of you failed. But now I'm going to give you something new, where it's not about how hard you work. It's about simply trusting in me. And in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews talks about this exact situation. Turn in your Bibles, near the end of your New Testament, to the, to the book of Hebrews, the 8th chapter. Tell me when you're there. Hebrews 8. You're quiet today. Are you awake? Okay, somebody's awake. Good. Hebrews chapter 8. 
Starting in verse 6, we're going to start at the end of one paragraph and go into the next section. Hebrews 8, verse 6, it says now this, But now he, and he is Jesus, it says, capital H here, he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much... by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. But for for finding fault with them, they couldn't do it, in other words. He says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. That's the old covenant. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. He said, listen, I made a promise. You follow me, I'll bless you. You don't follow me, I won't bless you. That's the old covenant. I, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. Now, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow, fellow citizens, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And when he said, A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But, whenever, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So what do we see about the new covenant here? First of all, in the new covenant we see something they didn't have in the old covenant. We see that your sins are completely forgiven. Look at verse 12. It says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. You need to understand something here today, because I really believe we generally don't understand this. The old covenant proved that there are none righteous, no, not one. That's a New Testament verse. But the Old Testament proved it's true. No one could keep the law. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant proved that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because all of them tried to do it. They're sacrificing animals. They're keeping holy days. And every single one of them failed. It was designed to fail. The Old Covenant proved that man could not live in a way that could earn their salvation no matter how hard they tried. And it proved that no matter how many animals were sacrificed, man was still sinful and man was still guilty because it was created by God to prove exactly that. That was God's big plan that he's still working out. He said, for a season of time, I'm going to take this group of people called Israel and I'm going to have them illustrate for the world that no matter how hard you work trying to keep all these laws, you can't do it. So that's why I say you've got to pay attention. Sometimes, especially in Pentecostal charismatic churches, we got people who try to live in the Old Testament. They're trying to keep all these Old Testament holy days and do this Old Testament stuff, saying, well, Israel did it this way. You're not Israel that way. That was the old law. We're now children of Abraham. But we're not supposed to keep the Old Testament law anymore. It was designed to prove that you can't do it on your own. And that's what he's saying here. It was created by God to prove that we can't, on our own, live righteously. But then Jesus said, he's got this cup in his hand, and he says, I have a new covenant with you. It's not based on hard work, or keeping rituals, or doing religious activities. He says it's based on grace and faith. 
that we can put our faith in Jesus. That He took care and took away of our guilt because of our sin. That by grace He declares us clean and free from sin's guilt. He says it's a gift of God. And it doesn't, it doesn't anymore do what the old covenant did where we hide behind, we hide the fact that I'm a sinner behind religious activity. Rather what it does is it admits that I'm a sinner and that there's nothing that I can do about it on my own, so I must cling to Jesus and accept His free gift of forgiveness for salvation. That's what the new covenant is compared to the old covenant. He said in verse 12, And He will be merciful to our iniquities, and He will remember our sins no more. In the new covenant, salvation is simply God's gift to us. It doesn't come because we keep a law. It doesn't come because we keep a list of do's and don'ts. And I want us to look at how the Apostle Paul explained this in the book of Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You're getting a little experience today flipping through your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. This is so important. I really believe that children of God are robbed of the joy of, their, of the new covenant life because they try to live in the old covenant in a new covenant time. And they, and they keep saying, oh, I keep failing. I keep failing. And you go, you're right, you keep failing. You're supposed to keep failing because God designed it that you can't do it. He wants you to understand that He's got something better. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's your sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. So that in ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Can you imagine someday He's going to be saying to some angels, you know what? Shows how graceful I am. I saved Larson. Can you believe anybody could save that guy? I did it. And he didn't, but it wasn't because he worked hard. It was because I just love him. That's how it happened. It's, look, that's what it says. So that in the ages to come, verse 7, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. In the new covenant, your sins are completely forgiven. That's what he's saying in, in Hebrews. In the new covenant, your sins, unlike the old covenant where they're just covered up by animals' blood, in the new covenant, your sins are completely forgiven, and not because you kept the law, but because it's just a gift from God. Now some of us really need to get a hold of this today. Because as I said, we kind of live like an old covenant mentality and we try to earn God's love. Friends, just write it down somewhere. You can't work hard enough to please God. You can't do it. He doesn't want you to try to work hard enough to please Him. He loves you because He created you and He wants you to rest in His love and His forgiveness. That you, know, that you can't or didn't earn His love is, is just a fact that he wants you to understand. He wants you to just accept it. Accept his grace to you today. Don't try to turn the grace of the new covenant into the bondage of the old covenant. Jesus said, um, what we have now is new. So be freed from the old covenant thinking. So you know what? So when we celebrate communion in a few minutes, celebrate 
You know what? I don't know how come at communion, maybe I'm responsible, but every church I go to is this way. It's like you just went to a funeral service. It's time for communion. Right? Bow your heads. Children, don't smile. Isn't that what happens? It's just serious. It is serious. But it's a serious celebration. I'm not saying we take it flippantly, just the opposite. We understand it's a celebration time. We celebrate. We celebrate that you are a sinner who has been saved by grace. You didn't work to earn it. We celebrate that we just celebrate because none of us deserves the wonderful forgiveness that we have available to us in Christ. It's just been given to us. So we just celebrate it and we marvel at it because that's what he's trying to say. It's a new covenant, not the old one. You know why we gravitate to the old one? Because it puts us in the driver's seat. We say, well, I can just do it. I can work harder. I can give enough. I can go to church enough. You know what? You don't give... You don't go to church, you don't pray, because you have to. If you do, you live a joyless life. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you live a joyless life. Do you know why you, you, know why you come to church? Do you know why you, you choose to joyfully put your tithe in an offering basket? Do you know why you spend time in prayer with God? It's to celebrate what he, you're just looking for any way possible to celebrate his goodness to you. Because he said, guess what, Larson? You were lost in sin. You're a reprobate. You can try all the religion in the world. It won't work. But guess what? I'm going to offer you a free gift of salvation. Just receive it. And I go, no strings attached? I don't have to do anything? No, just receive it. Now here's the deal. That when I receive it, suddenly my heart's changed. We're going to look at it in a minute. My heart's changed and now I want to do stuff. So I say, I want to, I want to help the poor. I want, to, I want to make a meal for the Sharp family. Because why? Because God just done something I'm starting to think like Jesus now. And I want to do things like He does. I don't do the one to earn the other. I do the one because it's an outflow of just receiving His free gift. But understand, the new covenant doesn't stop right there. It doesn't stop at just receiving it. You know, because He completely forgives your sins, as we saw here, then He gives, does something inside of you. He gives you a brand new heart and a brand new nature. So that you can love God and obey Him. Turn back to Hebrews. Right where you were. I should have told you to keep your fingers in there. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 10. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And understand now, if you're a follower of Christ, he says that now you are spiritual children of Abraham. And it says all the blessings and promises of Abraham are now to you. So that now we have the same blessing. So now, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, by His Spirit, He does a work inside of us. The old covenant was about making the outside look good. Have you been around religious people? They're all concerned about the outside, how I look on the outside. What I do, what people think about me. The old, the old covenant thinking was about making the outside look good, but the new covenant is about making us new from the inside out. It's about changing us on the inside. See, if you're a Christian, then you are new on the inside. He says here, you have a new heart and you have a new mind. You know, tell the person next to you, you know what? I've got a new heart. You can say it to me. <laughs> you got a new heart? I do too. You know why? I've got a new heart. Um, I'm new on the inside because of a work that God did in my life. You say, why is this so important to understand? Because 
Understand this, people. You are not bound by your past anymore. The past is gone. He's given you a brand new heart and a brand new mind. The things that controlled you have lost their control in Christ because you are brand new on the inside. He's done a work inside of you. And you know what? And you don't need to feel ashamed or guilty anymore about the past. You are brand new from the inside out. The things of your past are the past. And you are not that person anymore. Some of you need to look in the mirror today and say, I'm not that person anymore because you walk around church smiling, but you're really frowning inside because you're so guilt-ridden about your past. You're so bound by the things of the past. You just haven't come to a revelation yet. The revelation is God gave you a new heart and He gave you a new mind. He did that inside of you. You just need to start acting it out. He gave it to you. He didn't say He might give it to you. He said He did give it to you. It's yours. You see, God's not declaring you guilty. God's not looking at you with condemnation and saying, You're guilty, Suzanne. You're guilty, Jeff. He's not doing that. You know what? He's, see, he is saying, You know what? I've given you a new heart. I've given you a new mind. You are not guilty. You know what? That means that you need to start thinking with your new mind. The Bible tells us we renew our mind by the washing of the Word of God. Why do you need to spend time every day in this book? Because your old mind doesn't think right. He's giving you a new mind, but you've got to educate your new mind. You need to spend time every day pouring God's, God Himself. Jesus said He is the Word. Pouring Jesus and having your new mind be, be educated and, and, and renewed every single day. So, you know, you have, a, you have a new mind. You start to need to think with your new mind. And when junk from your past rises up in your mind, you need to remind yourself that that was the old you. Again, you look in the mirror and you say, that's not me anymore. That old addiction, it's gone. You say, I'm going to walk in the newness of Christ. You remind yourself that, that you are brand new and the old you isn't alive anymore. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible talks about this. Galatians 2.20, it says this. You have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, look at it. You have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. You have a brand new mind and a brand new heart in an old flesh. Does the old flesh still fight against you? Absolutely. But he says your mind and your heart are brand new. You see, in the new covenant, you are made brand new on the inside because Christ now lives in you. In you, And that's what Jesus was saying we celebrate at communion. Christ lives in you. You are new on the inside, and that's something to celebrate. So today, in a, just one moment, when we take communion, don't let the same empty ritual of just cutting the ends of the ham off occur today. It is a celebration that your sins are completely forgiven as a gift from God. And He has made you brand new on the inside so that you can love Him and you can obey Him. That's what we celebrate together today. And that's what we're going to do as we serve you communion. Now we're going to serve communion a little different today. Today, Pastor Chris and myself are going to come up to the front. He's going to stand over here and I'm going to stand right there. And every one of you, I'm going to encourage you to, however you're seated, you're going to come down the center aisle. And when you come down the center aisle, you're going to go to either myself or Pastor Chris. And then we are going to serve you communion, and then you're going to go back to your seats through the, through the, the side aisles. And you're going to receive 
the elements. And when you receive the elements, I want you to remember that they represent what Jesus has already done for you. And I want this to be a time where you really, inside doesn't mean you have to be doing backflips, but you're really just awed by what Jesus has done for you. And I'll tell you this, if you've never really given your life to Christ, as I pray in just a moment, I encourage you to pray to ask Him into your life, to forgive you your sins, and to become the Lord of your life, the ruler of your life. And then when you do that, then come and celebrate communion together. But I'll tell you this, if you haven't given your life to Christ, don't be like an Old Testament, an Old Covenant person who's worried about the outside. I'll tell you this, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then please don't come. No, I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm just saying, I would never encourage you to be a hypocrite. If, if this isn't your world and your life, you know what, you're welcome here. We love you here. But please, don't come and participate in communion saying that you understand that Jesus is your Savior and Lord and He shed your blood for you and has changed your life. If it hasn't, just no one will even know it. Just because everybody's going to be moving. Just stay in your seat. But if you say, I need Christ in my life, you've never done that, I encourage you right now to invite Him in. Let's just pray together, then we're going to serve communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here, and I pray, God, that as we celebrate communion together today, that you, Lord, would help us to see what's the, what is the, the fullness of the new covenant. That, God, we would see that you have offered us, God, new life in Christ. It's not about the law. It's not about works. It's about understanding that you're calling our name. And when you call our name, we just respond, and you give us this gift of forgiveness and salvation. And that, Lord, when you give us this gift... You give us this gift, we receive it joyfully, and we say, God, we receive a new mind and a new heart. And because of that new mind and new heart, God, we want it to be just to change the way we look at life, to change the way we walk through the world. God, we want to look at things through your eyes and have our heart beat with yours.